0: Good morning, and welcome to the last Sunday of uh, 2021. How are you? As you get ready for 2021, I'm glad that we have about a week before 2021 starts. Because a lot can happen in this week, and God can prepare us for 2021, don't you think? I think that it's important for us to hear from God and to prepare ourselves for what the Lord has for us. And God can actually show it to us, what He is doing. And so today, what I'd like to share with you has to do with a certain preparation we can make for the year to come. I don't know what your longings and expectations are, but today I'd like to talk about that. The longings and expectations that we could have for the year ahead. And uh, these next few days could be very crucial for what's ahead. They could either prepare us for it or they can actually entrench us into negative expectations or expectations that are off. So I'd like you to continue looking at this story in Luke. Um, it's more than a story, of course. It's not fiction, it's real. As we look at Jesus after He was born, and we'll read it from Luke chapter 2, verse 21 onwards. When eight days had passed before His circumcision, the Jesus is a baby, His name was then called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses was completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This actually shows where they were economically because the, this, the two turtle doves and two young pigeons are a special provision that were made for the poor because they couldn't offer anything bigger than that. They were allowed to offer some, something. So it gives us a, an idea of Jesus being born into poverty actually. Verse 25, And there was a man in Jerusalem, this is where we want to focus, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed. Yeah, Christ means anointed. And he came into the Spirit, in the Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father, Jesus' father, the baby's father and mother, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow of the age at the age of uh, 84 she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. I'd like to focus on these two for a little bit because these two people were old, not only old in age but they had expectation and longing. Simeon was lo- longing for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel was the Messiah, the Anointed One, who would come. And the consolation of Israel is a term that's used that has to do with the Holy Spirit, yeah, the paraclete, consolation, paraclete, the comforter. He was looking for the comforter, the Holy Spirit, that would mark the coming of the one who would make all their suffering worth it. Who would make all the sum total of all their oppression, their suffering, their pain more than compensated for. He was looking for the consolation of Israel, the longings of all of Israel's heart, the consolation of Israel. And the amazing thing is that the Lord had spoken to him and given him the expectation that he would not die before he actually met or saw this consolation of Israel. It's amazing that at that old age, he was able to keep his expectation alive. Expectation is something that we all Have, whether you expect anything or not, expectation is something that we automatically do. We can't help expecting. Even if you don't have any expectation, that is an expectation that nothing will happen. We can't help expecting. Expecting is something that you do as a default anyway. You expect things to happen. Yesterday we expected rain we couldn't help expecting based upon the data based upon the clouds based upon the weather based upon the weather forecast we can't help expecting we are people who live with one foot in the present and one foot in the in the in the future we can't help expecting our imagination our whole mind expects it expects negatively or positively and it can't help expecting that's the th- amazing thing about human beings Human beings live within with a foot into the future, yeah we lean towards the future, our expectations lean they have a uh, they have a leaning. we are not able to live completely in the present, but we live partly in the future. not only that time yeah time that we experience i mean sequen of sequences of events one after another is not all that it's not all that time is time has it lives under the ages of eternity do you know what that means it means that in this universe in this world we are people though we are trapped in time there is almost looking down upon us the the dimension of eternity of god who knows the end from the beginning and he's constantly interacting us with us in our present time. He's constantly putting future things into our, into our heart. He's constantly putting expectations into our heart by His Word. We can't help it. We can't help it. We are not trapped in the present. There is something of a window that opens up to eternity. And because of the fact that God lives in eternity, He's constantly messing up our time. He's constantly giving us inklings about what's going to happen in the future. Even without God, we constantly have inklings. We lean towards the future. We're constantly doing fortune-telling. We are doing. We are constantly loo- looking at the tea leaves, right? We're looking at the the, the The Romans looked at the entrails of animals and all that and sacrifices to look about to look at the future we can't help it we can't help it. Expectation is something that we bring into the the next year into next in, into two thousand and twenty two You are going to bring expectations into two thousand and twenty two whether you like it or not. Your expectations will determine how you behave and how you react and how you interpret or look at things that are going to happen. You, are, you can't help it. You can do it with God, or you can do it without God. And what we saw with Simeon is the fact that he had expectations all his life. But his expectations were not just expectations that come from a person who is hopeful or hopeless. His expectations came from a source beyond time, and that was from God to put it to you that whether you have good or, 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 or bad expectations, God is in the business of putting expectations into you and I. I'm not talking about having positive expectations about the future. I'm not talking about like when you come for a meeting, have expectation. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm not talking about optimism. I'm talking about the fact that as a human being made in the image of God, God puts expectations in you. If you're not careful, if your expectations are not from God, your expectations will carry you to all kinds of places. You don't expect anything. You will live out a life in which the spirit, the demeanor, the way in which you act act will be dependent upon the kind of expectation that you have. This message is not about having positive expectations or having optimistic expectations. I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that God puts in us expectation. God puts in us the seed of what He's going to be doing in the future. T.S. Eliot in Four Quartets talks about the fact that the future is in past, in the past. It's in the present time, in time past. In time past, God has already put the future in, in there. The future begins in the past. And, he, and God puts these, these special uh, things in the past. In Isaiah chapter 46, uh, it, says, it says, He's the God who declares things long decided from long ago. Isaiah 46. Ancient things not known by people. In Isaiah chapter 46, it says, God puts into us things not yet done. Not yet done. Do you know how uncomfortable that is? When God puts into us things not yet done, sometimes I just wonder, why does it have to be that way? He puts in us unfulfilled expectations. Because... These expectations are going to be fulfilled if we follow in God's way. But he tells the end from the beginning. That means what he wants to do, what he's going to be doing next year, he will start talking about it here now. And there's a way in which we can recognize that. So Simeon had this expectation put into him, same with Anna. In such a way that even though he saw thousands of people every year, every year he just saw thousands of people, thousands of babies were being dedicated, thousands of, baby, of boys, little boys, baby boys were being circumcised. He saw all these things. He had an expectation that was there. It was like a lens through which he looked at things. It's not the expectation that comes from optimism. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a bug that God puts inside us. And it hears things. And it's alive. It's a living thing that's inside us, this expectation. It's not just flat optimism. It's a thing. And what it does is that it helps us to recognize Holy Spirit things, appointed things, destiny things. And so when Simeon was, you know, circumcising, praying for, doing the the thing that he's been doing for 84 years, okay, a little baby comes in, and expectation in him, that bug in him, perks up, boop, 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 and recognizes the consolation of Israel. Suddenly, pop. Same with Anna, after a long time of expecting, expecting, she sees the baby, and she's expectation thing happens so that it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he went to the temple. Anna was also filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately they could discern there was something special about this baby and they could go straight into prophecy and said this is what's happening. The parents of Jesus were so shocked because what they were prophesying was, was what God has spoken to them before. Expectation. You and I as Christians are not only supposed to be living in the present, but God has put future expectation in our hearts. Now, the thing about Christians is this. This is amazing. Because of the Holy Spirit, who is the presence of the future, the Holy Spirit is the presence of the future, if He's present in us, He actually wants us to prepare for things before they happen and speak them out. Does that make sense? Christians are different. Christians don't just wait for things to happen and then try to interpret it backwards. Christians are different. And that is why Zacharias, when the angel came to see him, what was the angel doing? He was doing what heaven does. Angel angel was saying, you are going to give birth to a son even though it's impossible. He couldn't believe it and as a result of not being able to believe it, he didn't get to do what Christians are supposed to do. Speak about it before it happens. He couldn't be prophetic. He could only speak it after the fact. Sad, man. Sad man, he was not acting as a Christian. Because Christians are people who God reveals things the end, from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done. You are a person who carries within yourself ancient things not yet done. Now the thing about it is that if you're not aware of those things you're not aware of the the fact that your expectation is not just optimism or pessimism or kind of a a projection to the future, but God actually put these things in there, you may get really frustrated because of things not yet done. You may find that these things not yet done may tell you a story and you interpret it as if these things are never going to happen. But the amazing thing about Simeon and Anna is this that throughout their life, this expectation gave them life, kept them alive. It was very rare for people to be that old and die uh, after 80. But there was something about that that was causing them to actually hone in, become more and more refined in their discernment, their ability to, to prophesy, their ability to know the voice of God, the mind of God and all that. Amazing thing is that Simeon, and Anna had expectation, and they were expecting, or something that was deep in the concept, the heart, the yearning of Israel as well. So I want to want to talk about that because you see, it is possible for us to enter into the next year completely out of whack with what God is doing. It is possible for us because we are going to go into into the next year with. Positive or negative or fleshly expectations or spiritual expectations. It's possible for you to go into January 1st with no expectations, which are still expectations of nothing, depending on our outlook. But I believe that God actually, in in these days, can prepare us for what's supposed to happen next year. I remember that God has always done that with us as a church. Before COVID-19 uh, began to break out, the Lord began to speak to us about certain things that we're supposed to do to get ready for revival. We did not know that COVID-19 was happening, but we decided as the Lord led us that the Lord wanted us to start praying every day. Start praying together as a, as a, as a, as a group of people. Now, you must know VCF's, uh, VCF's history. VCF has a very notorious history for prayer. We start prayer meetings and then we fizzle out really quickly. People get really excited about prayer and then after that, they 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 disappear. We constantly started, start prayer. I remember once when we decided we we're going to have prayer on a Sunday evening, I was talking to the group of people about my concern. I said, that's one thing about VCF is that we're constantly fizzling out in prayer. But we started again on a Sunday evening prayer, and somehow, because the Lord has spoken to this, we didn't fizzle out. We have been we've been having Sunday evening, and then later on, we started Sunday morning prayer far longer than we have had our daily prayer with COVID 19. We've had that long before. We didn't start daily prayer because of COVID 19. We started prayer um Daily prayer before COVID nineteen and before we had any inkling that there's going to be any kind of lockdown, but we started it there anyway. God can actually give us expectations for the future, expectations that we don't fully understand, but He tells us do this, or start this, and then they, and then the the effects will be greater. Expectation is what you and I are going to bring into the next year if you expect that this year will the next year will be the same as last year then you will act in a certain way if you expect that next year will be a year of disappointment you will act a certain way if you expect that the year is going to be great you will act in a certain way and i'm not saying you should, you need to be optimistic about the about about the future i'm just saying god puts his specific, specific expectations that in whatever whatever happens next year, if things are bad or things are good, His expectations will overshadow those, those circumstantial uh, prognostications and cause us to be able to find a way into His great things. He declares the end from the beginning. And because of that, He puts in us expectations for the future. Isn't that amazing? Verse 27, He came in the Spirit into the temple. Because of these expectations, they prepared Him to live all these years so that by the time Jesus was born, His discernment was so sharp, so clear, that amidst thousands of people, he could hone in and know this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. Baby, just looks like any other baby. Could know exactly what it was. That not only him, but Anna as well. I want to talk a little bit about that because this is going to be really important for us this is going to be very important for us as a church. And so let's have a look at this. Expectation. We've seen the expectations are powerful. In Isaiah 52, i give you another example. This is all over the Bible. You see this principle going on. Isaiah 52, re- reading from verse 1. The prophet says, "Awake, awake, clothe thyself, clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself up from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion, for thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without money." But thus is the Lord. My people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause. Again the Lord declares, declares Those who rule over them howl, and my name is constantly blaspheme all day long. That's the experience of Israel. <laughs> therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. What God is saying to Israel here in the midst of the, their oppression in the midst of the the Persians, Babylonians, Assyrians, an overarching, oppressive, layer-by-layer empire over them, howling over them, God says, Awake, awake, put on your strength. Before, before, beforehand. It is very important that God speaks beforehand, so that they can prepare. I believe that God is going to speak to you and I beforehand so that we can prepare, amen? That's the way of God. That's how a people can not only just prophesy, but live prophetically. So he said, awake, put on strength. Can you imagine the the nation of Israel, Jerusalem, Judah, just feeling, what strength, What, what beautiful garments? We can't. We can't do this. Because the Babylonians... uh, 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 would not allow us to. How can we have hope? That hope is always going to be interrupted. We cannot. We cannot have space. We don't have enough space enough to plan anything that is godly. We don't have any space to plan anything that is going to go well. Look at the authorities. Look at the governments. Look at the, the empires. They are against us. And we know what has happened before. Before, every time we plan to do something good, plan for, for success, they would come in and they will interrupt it or break up all our plans. How can we do this? We can't do this. And so nobody played any plans. Nobody made any plans because they understood that any plan for good would be interrupted. I wonder whether some of us are in this way. I don't have much hope. I don't, I don't plan for anything good or plan for anything big because I know things are going to go wrong. The pandemic is just one of those things. But for many of us, it's just plans that depend not so much on other people. Other people's faithfulness or other people's being for you. Other people being stable. Yourself being stable. Yourself not getting sick. Yourself not getting the pandemic. Your boss still being in the same place. Your job still being in the same place. One of the things that prevented Israel from planning was the fact that every time they tried to do something, two steps forward, three steps back two two steps forward four steps back i think most of us myself included have that tendency to actually pull back from any kind of planning for the future because there's an overhang of disappointment that hangs over us and expectations that things are not going to go well the expectation that we are going to be rejected. We don't push ourselves forward. We don't assert ourselves because of the fact that we expect that we are going to be re- rejected. And so Isaiah chapter chapter 52 says, put on strength, put on your be- beautiful garments. put on these things, these, be- these beautiful garments with the garments of ministry, the anointing, the priestly garments, beautiful garments. What are you saying, Isaiah? Put these on. No, they're going to be stripped of us. They're not going to allow us. We won't have a temple. We won't have our our, our our place to worship God and to and to and to intercede. We don't have all these things. These these structures are all gone. No, Isaiah said, put these on. Why? Not because you're optimistic, not because you think that the political scene is going to change, but because of the fact that God says so. God says so. That's all. Expectation is not a matter of optimism or pessimism. Expectation as far as God is concerned, is based upon Him dropping a word called expectation inside us. Amen? Puts it in our imagination. And, and, and the prophet understands this when he speaks to Israel. He says, there was a time in which you were in Egypt. There was a time in which you were taken away by Assyria. Now what do I have here? A people whose experience, whose collective political experience has been one of exile, of slavery, of being far away from their promised land. And this experience of defeat, this experience of tragedy, has marked the structure of their expectation. It's marked and marred the soul that expects. It's marred their imagination. You know, um, The for, in the Bible, the word for imagination, the inward mind, it says something that has broken it up and has caused the imagination, whenever it projects into the future, it projects a, a, a slanted picture. And what uh, Isaiah was saying is this, I understand this. I understand this, that you have, one time, gone down into Egypt through Joseph, right? And you thought things were going to go on. In fact, you were doing so well that the Pharaoh thought, these people are a threat to us. But instead of going back to the Promised Land, you stayed in Egypt because you grew and became mighty and powerful until one Pharaoh said, oh, we're going to destroy them. You overstayed maybe Your sin got you out into exile and scattering by the Assyrians. Therefore, your expectation is marked by a a decided, deterministic kind of bent towards negativity. So whenever you expect, you can't help expecting through the lens of this dark expectation that things are not going to go well. You and I need healing from this. Don't you think? Or else our expectation will be either too optimistic or too pessimistic or the nothing or nothing which will be something. And so God in Isaiah 52 says you have to break that cycle. You have to break it so that you neither expect in the flesh, in the positive, in the fleshly positive or in the fleshly negative. You expect because And it says here in Isaiah 52, Therefore my people, verse 6, will know my name. They will know in that day I am speaking. That means they can hear my voice. And they will know that here I am. I'll be present. I want to just continue talking a little bit because I just feel that something, there's something really important in this for us this year. And I'd like us to look at expectations in the life of one particular king And his captain, and you can find this in Second Kings chapter six and seven. So, if you can look at me, uh, look with—not look at me, look with me. Don't look at me. In chapter six of Second Kings, something about this that is very instructive for us. Okay, let's have a look at this. Second Kings chapter six. What had happened was that um, the, um, Samaria was being surrounded by the Arameans, the Syrians, yeah, up in the northeast. And they had come and they had surrounded and besieged Samaria. So much so that Samaria was in famine and was starving. And the king is hot and mad with God. He's so mad with God and he's so mad with Elisha that he blames Elisha for the famine and the starvation that's going, going, going on. Things are so bad that he just wants, he's just livid. He wants to kill Elisha. So he sends his messenger ahead of him to Elisha's house. And in verse 12 of, uh, sorry, verse 32 of Second um, Kings chapter 6, it says, now Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man from his presence, but before the messengers came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent me, sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him and, say, and he said, Behold, this evil is from Yahweh. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So what the king was saying is this, I blame God. I'm blaming God for this famine. And there's something about blaming God and the anger and the outrage that comes that can somehow cloud our, our, our vision. There's something about the way in which the king is thinking that is, there's, a, there's a flaw there. When, th- when things go bad, immediately he blames God. Are any of you like that? No, 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 no. Not not, not, not VCF, right? <laughs> no, actually we, we have that tendency. Why did God allow this? Why did God allow this? And there's something that has that his experience, the immediate experience, that has uh, that has got his goat, right? Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And some of us don't want to wait upon God anymore. They don't want to have, have any hope for God because. They are expecting that while things are unfinished, while things are unresolved, things are not going to go well. What what he has done is that he has projected in the future because of these terrible things that have happened. I expect the future to be that way as well. This is going down. This is going down. And our expectations are going down kind of expectation. Let's go to chapter 7. Elisha said... Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gates of Samaria. That means very, very cheap. Okay? Very, very cheap. <clears throat> there will be so much food in abundance in one day. Okay? And the royal officer, on whose hand the king was leaning, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now let's look at the issue of expectation. The expectation that the king had was that there would be nothing. There will be nothing. The expectation of the king, based upon his experience, was that we will actually be dead and done with in a day. He comes to Elisha, and Elisha gives him a word. And the word has nothing to do with optimism. It has nothing to do with pessimism. It has to do with something from the other side, from outside, from eternity into time. And he comes and he says, same time next year, uh, n- n- next day, you are going to have so much abundance that, uh, that food is going to be so cheap. But all of the king's experience has been the opposite. His immediate imprint of experience has been that things are going to be terrible, they are, they are bad. I just had to um, um, uh, adjudicate between two women, one of which gave her son, her baby, over to be eaten by the other woman, and now the other woman is not going to give me that, her, her baby to, to eat. He, the, the king just rents his, his, his garments. He's, he's beside his, himself. He's beside himself. He's, he's he's not only sorrow, but he's angry with God. His experience does not allow for Elisha's prophecy because Elisha's prophecy goes against the logic of experience. Now, the expectation of God goes against the logic of experience. The expectation of God is not does not arise from the soil of experience. It comes from the other side. And we find ourselves constantly at odds with God because what God does is that He gives us a word that is opposite to our experience. And when that happens, we just can't accept it. And the the, the royal guard says if Yahweh would open the windows of heaven and have windows in heaven, it would still not happen. Can you see two kinds of sources of expectation? One, bad experience. The second is a certain kind of logic that does not allow for a singular experience that is opposite, a singular act of God that is possible. The captain of the Lord of of the King's Guard Basically saying this, it's not possible. The universe is a scientific universe and there's no place for this. He's got a certain kind of attitude or, or, or perspective towards the cosmos or the, to nature, to way, the way things are, in such, a, in such a way that it does not, ag- does not allow for miracles happening. The king's problem is that his experience has imprinted itself into his feelings, his, his emotions, and his heart. The royal God is different. His is that if it doesn't fit my logic, it doesn't fit the circumstance, then it's not going to happen. Even if the, the, the Lord would have windows in heaven, it would still not happen. And that's where Malachi comes in and he says, if you tithe, even though you are poor, guess what? I will open the windows of heaven. I wonder whether he's trying to address that. But you can see these two things happen. There's, there's these two tendencies that we have. One, the tendency of the king that makes expectations decidedly negative based upon their own experience. And secondly, the, the experience, the, sorry, the the logic of the royal guard, upon whose hand the king is leaning, yeah, they saying, "No, I don't expect that this is going to happen." We call this scientism, not science, but scientism. Scientism is really a certain religious aspect of 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 of, uh, of of a view of the of the universe in which it says that only that which can be seen, observed, and measured. Is that, Anything else that cannot be seen, observed, and measured uh, is not real. That's what we call scientism. We believe in science, we believe that God works through science, in science, but we don't believe in scientism, which is saying that there is no such thing other than what you can see. And I tell you, there is something about us that gets caught into these two things. One, our expectation, which is more of an, um, an emotional expectation because of experience. It's a, there's, a, there's a way in which this is unconscious, and there's something that's a lot, rather more conscious in which we think that what can happen is only based upon what the numbers show or what we can see, what the eyes can see, what we can measure. And you can see that the king was leaning with his experience upon the royal God. Leaning. It says here, the king was leaning, the, the the royal officer, verse 2 of chapter 7, on whose hand the king was leaning, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the land of the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And Elisha says, you will see it happen, but you will not taste it. My urgent desire and hope is that all of us will be able to taste of the good of what God has. God doesn't need you to believe for He doesn't need you to believe for His word, for His word to come to pass. But if you don't believe, you will not taste of the good of it. And that's why expectation will determine how preparation for the coming year. It will determine how we work with God and tune us so that we can recognize God moments. So, in verse 3, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us go over to the camp of the Arameans, and they spare, if they spare us, we will live, and if they kill us, we will but die. And you have to be brought to the point where you're willing to die. Often, in order for us to experience the truth. They arose at twilight to come to the camp of the Arameans. And when they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots. And the sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites, which were a very powerful nation, actually more powerful than Arameans. And the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried them there also and went and hid them. That's amazing, isn't it? The the, the lepers are saying, you're going to die anyway. And sometimes we need to be brought to that place, you know, before we can experience clarity. But what had happened was that God, behind the scenes not known by the king, not known by the royal officer, not known by the, 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 the Israelites, had actually caused the Arameans to hear a rumor, hear a false false uh, piece of data, and they ran off, They left the camp open for the lepers to come in. And the least of these were able to enter in and enjoy it. Verse 9, when they said to one another, we are not doing right, This day is a day of good news, the leper said, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So, verse 10, they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We came to the camp of the the Arameans, and behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of man, only the horses tied and the donkeys tied, and tents just as they were. The gatekeepers called. And told it within the king's household. And the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will now tell you what the Arameans have done to us. See, now the king is now going to speak out his expectation based upon his experience. I will now tell you why the Arameans have done so to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone from the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we will capture them alive and get into the city. And one of the servants said, Please, let some men take five of the horses which remain which are left in the city. Behold, they will be in any case like all the multitude of the Israel who have left in it. Behold, they will be in any case like all the multitudes of Israel who have already perished. So let us send and see. Just go have a look. Test it out. You see how the king was stuck. He was imprisoned in his expectation. Expectation. His expectation had become a trap to him. His householder said, let's just give it a shot. Just try. Try it out. And they were loose. They, kept, they were able to keep loose their expectations. They were not bound by the expectations. May I say to you that sometimes our expectations based on experience have formed a bondage upon us. They imprison us. And make us make faith judgments in the negative side. We're not even objective. But our expectations hold us, they carry us, they fill our imagination, they cause us to come to conclusions in a certain way. And we all need healing from that. Because we can't help it, we're not completely objective. We come to negative conclusions about God, about the future, about ourselves, about how, what people think about us. There, We are so broken that we are we are caught up in that. We are not Fully objective. Have you met people who are like this? Their friend, friend A, gets praise for doing this great thing. Friend B gets praise for doing another thing. By the time you get to friend F, we feel how come no one praised me? There's something wrong. we are not objective. We are not objective. We are hurt when other people get praised because we feel that we are not praised enough. Does that make sense? He didn't greet me, therefore He doesn't like me. We are loaded. We lean heavily on the disease part of our exact expectation. It says the king leaned on the royal person. I know what it is to lean when I had arthritis in my hip. And I shared this before. When I had arthritis on, on my hip, I did not know that I was leaning heavily on my left. My, my, my hip was had arthritis. And so because of this, I leaned more on my left. Okay, I leaned more on my left. And a lot of times, we don't know how we're leaning. But it affects us. So it is really funny, during the the middle of the night, um, I used to wake up to go to the toilet. And I would go into the toilet in the dark. But because I was leaning to my left, what I thought was that I was going straight. But actually, I was leaning left. And there were a few times when I was moving to the toilet, I missed and actually hit the wall because I did not know that I was leaning left. Does that make sense? There's something about our walk that leans left. It leans left and we don't even know about it. We're not completely objective. And as a result of that, we don't walk straight with God. And so what was happening is that the king had already interpreted what was going on. And he needed someone who was neutral enough, who was sensible enough, not, not so much affected by his negative experiences to help him. And so true enough, they went in and they found that the Arameans had completely lo- left. They had to run away. And so the announcement was made to the city There was food, there was provision, the lepers had done a good thing and the whole city went in and they rushed in. And it says here, so the people, verse 16, went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans and then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate but the people trampled on him at the gate and he died just as the man of God had said who spoke. When the king came down to him, and so as a result of that, the man, the, the the royal guard, did not get to eat any of it. He actually died. He never experienced any of the good. So that God's word came to pass, but his expectations killed him. He literally got killed by his expectations. This is amazing? It happened just as the man of God had spoken, and the and 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 the and the writer of Second Kings. He really wants to rub it in. Verse 18, it says, it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shackle will be sold tomorrow about this time at the gate of Samaria then the royal officer answered the man of God saying now behold if the Lord should make windows in heaven could such a thing be and he said behold you will see to it with your own eyes and you will not eat of it and so it happened to him for that people trampled on him at the gate and said it's almost as if the king the, the, the writer of 2nd Kings is saying see see he says I'm going to remind you of that unbelief that he had and he rehearses it sort of redundantly in, in some ways but maybe but maybe not, because of the fact that he's trying to rub it in that his expectations, his actually his close logic, his close system, and the expectations based upon the experience of the king, these two militated against having true expectations from the word of the Lord. May I suggest to you that there is ways in which you and I can fill ourselves with the right expectations before next year. You put into you and I Words, which we probably won't fully understand. But these words will a lot of times be incomplete. Things not yet done. You put these things in you. And the main thing is this. You must not think there's going to be a glitch somewhere. Something's going to intervene. Something's going to break it up and it's going to make it not happen. You must not think that way. There may be times in which because of the fact that the word that God has placed in your heart and expectation is not complete, you may be impatient about it. But may I suggest to you that like Anna and like Simeon, you hold on to it and you keep praying. What do we do? The first thing is we've got to understand that expectations must be given over to God. They need to be given over to God and prayed over. They have to be surrendered to God. A lot of times we expect from a point of selfishness. When we we expect based upon selfishness that this is going to happen for me, it's all for me, it's all about me, and everything that God says is about my good and everything, then what happens is that you get trapped into limited expectations based upon selfishness, upon self. Self doesn't have the power to expect, not in the godly way. God's expectation comes when the self is surrendered over to God and given over to God. And so the first thing I want to say is this, in order for us to have have expectations from God, first of all, you've got to say, Lord, I want what you have. I surrender my own will so that your will will be done. I've got to tell you, when God gives us expectations, it's not about me. It's about His will. Ephesians says, Paul says, I I would that you be filled with the knowledge of His will. Not your will. We have a narcissistic tendency to think of all that God wants to do for Himself in this world as something that is seen from what He's going to do for me. And we can have a skewed view of promises of God because we we, we are taking the promises of God as something that we are consumerist, we consume for ourselves. If you think about promises of God as something that terminate on you, you'll be mistaken because God doesn't work that way. Christian life doesn't work that way. Christian life doesn't work as God trying to help you only He says, you surrender yourself to my will and I will show you what is going to happen. It's going to be good. It's going to be good for you. But the point is not about you. The point is about what I want to do for this world. Amen? So that's most important because what happens is that when we surrender ourselves to the Lord and we put ourselves on the altar and we say, Lord, I don't want to live these things so that I think of the promises of God as predictions, kind of fortune telling for my own sake. When you let it go, then what happens is that the expectations are not colored by our own sin, by our own selfishness. That, that needs to happen. And it's in worship as we do that, we continue, continually give it up. We come to a place in which as we pray and as we surrender and we worship the Lord, we come to a place where our heart, our soul is healed because it says, not according to my will, but according to you. I want my will to be lost in yours, Lord. You can never be healed. You can never be convinced about God. You can never have proper expectations unless that actually happens because many people want to take the Bible and the promises of God or hearing from God as something that terminates upon themselves. No, God brings us and He says, you give your life to me and I will take care of you. And I'll give you expectations that are not biased. Not for your own good. Amen? Amen? These preparations, sorry, these expectations involve preparations. And these preparations can come when we surrender ourselves to God and God puts expectations in us. Now, here's something. We are not prepared to prepare based upon an expectation of God. We are afraid to prepare for the future because we are afraid that our experience will be repeated. The experience of disappointment. Does that make sense? The day I... Uh, the day after I had started a relationship with Cindy, she had invited me to go to JPL to have... I don't know whether it was a talk or lunch. or something I can't remember that. But that day was special because that day... Her team had found pretty miraculously data from a flyby meteorite, right, that was going to fly by their particular um, um, uh, space vehicle that was examining Jupiter, and there was going to be a flyby of a, of a meteorite that would just fly by within seconds. Her team was called the NIMS, Near Infrared, um, near infrared Mapping spectro- Spectrometer. Okay? Don't ask me what it was, but it has the ability to be, to be able to uh, analyze and to be able to detect chemical substances in the, in the meteor. But the chances of, the, of them getting pictures of this flyby were almost not zero. Zero. But what she had learned was that if she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed until certainty and conviction begins to rise up and allow that certainty and the conviction to come and be, be willing to wait until that, that point comes where she knew that she knew that she knew that she, she knew something would of truth that would actually be established in her. And so she had prayed that her team would be able to get the data, even though the chances of them were so almost nil. So she was a science coordinate, coordinator in that team, and she shared with them, Let's all get ready for the data to come. You're getting ready, right? All of them, all of them said, No, they're not. And so she she found that her conviction, her expectation that came from her conviction was stronger than their non-expectation. Remember I said said before, that expectation, if you don't expect anything, you're still expecting because you're expecting nothing to happen. And so she got them to, to prepare themselves. And so they prepared themselves. The day that I came to visit her in JPL was the day when the data came in and the data came in bang on for their team. Exactly. She had a cup which had all the names of God. And those people, many of them are not believers in God. They said to her, keep that cup. Because they knew that God had done it. But without expectation, there would not have been preparation. If there was not preparation, they would have lost it. That to me is a parable of how we have to live. There's ways in which expectation brings forth preparation. It's the preparation that will determine whether we get those appointments of God or not. It is the preparation that will determine whether the miracles will actualize or not. And so there's something about the way in which we look at uncertainty that can be filled in with God and we surrender ourselves to Him and we pray and we allow ourselves to be divested of this false expectation that comes from experience or the false expectation that comes from scientism. A logic that, that precludes any possibility of God. We've been praying for Daniel's um, uh, relative Evan. And during our daily prayer, we prayed that he would experience a, a miraculous healing. The doctors, as, 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 uh, as uh, Daniel had shared, Daniel Kim, had expected nothing, that he would die. On a number of occasions, the doctors, the doctors had ex- told them to expect that Evan would not make it through the night. When we were praying, we were faced with the possibility of two kinds of prayer. One was the prayer that was kind of safe prayers, in which we said, Lord, we just pray that he will be comfortable and that he will be okay and that everything will be to your will. That prayer adds nothing to the equation. That prayer is what I call a truism. A truism is, is saying something just in a different way. It doesn't add any data to it. Okay? It's what you call a tautology. That kind of prayer most Christians pray. They pray things that God already was going to do. You know that God is good, so God will do the God good good God things. And so a lot of times we pray prayers that don't make headway. Because we're not committed. We don't have expectation. But before we go back to thinking that expectation is about optimism, we have to again remember that God wants us to search Him out. Amen? Search Him out. The Lord delivers me from all my fears if I seek Him. Those who seek the Lord are delivered from all my fears. How do I come to a point where my fears are disappearing? I have to seek Him. I have to go through layers and layers of prayer. I have to give up my selfish ambition, selfish motives. I have to surrender up to Him and come to a point where in surrendering to God and letting Him, letting myself know that God does whatever He wants to do, pressing into that, knowing that God can actually put in my heart an expectation of what He wants to do for good. Because God has good for us. Amen? And when that happens, God actually is able to put expectation Now, in prayer, we realize that as we are praying for Evan, we had to take a a, a certain path. Either we just pray safe prayers in which we tell God to do things that He already is going to do. That adds nothing. No, 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 added knowledge. Or we try to discern what God wants to do and give ourselves to it. And we decided we are going to not pray safe prayers. We pray as God puts conviction in us. Amen? And we, so we decided to pray. And true enough, one by one, miracles began to happen. Mir- miracles began to happen. And we prepare for that. I'm going to finish. But as you look into the year ahead, and if we close our eyes and bow our heads, I wonder whether God is speaking to you. to surrender your agenda to Him. Not think of the agenda in terms of how it will benefit you. Don't worry. God's agenda will more than benefit you. You don't have to nurse that. He takes better care of that. But to release yourself from disease expectations, from places in our hearts in which to avoid disappointment. We don't allow ourselves to be given over to God's agenda. I believe that we will be living in times in the year to come that will require us to be people of prayer. It's one thing to pray prayers that we know are good. It's another to pray and seek God's desire, his expectation and he'll put it in us. Lord, we thank you that you have good for us. That in the midst of so much evil, you have good. And that you have currents of good. That you are preparing for in the year to come. We bring before you our own lives, our church, our families. We invite you to come. We exchange our own desires for your yearnings and your longings and for your desires. We say, we surrender to you. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. If there's anyone that has been Anxious about the year ahead. If there's anyone who's not even thought about the year ahead. If there's anyone who's had negative experiences of being disappointed. As we come to the edge of 2021, I believe that the next week can be a week in which we can seek the Lord first by surrendering to Him. And we say, Lord, I want Your will. Knowing that somewhere in that my true longing will be fulfilled. As we come into this place, I invite you to put off old expectation for some of us not expecting is a, is a safety um, device to prevent us from being disappointed for some of us we're like the king we just say negative things so that we won't be disappointed for some of us we have no expectations. Like the royal guard we are saying. We have cannot have any expectations of any good. There are no windows in heaven. Give it all up to God, right? Now. I want to invite you to consecrate the next six days or so. To really seeking God. To writing down anything that the Lord may speak to you. And preparing yourself. We thank you Lord. Come thou long expected Jesus. Come to set us free. From low expectation. Negative expectations. Set us free right now. We come against every power of the enemy that has encased us in low expectations. We break that power. And we ask you that even now, that you will set your people free. We thank you that you have good for us. That the plans that you have for us are for a future and a hope. So we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you.